Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au It's a joy and honour to have Pastor Greg Johnson with us and his wife Michelle. Wonderful Futures Church. And Greg is not a stranger to us. We've all, I think most of us have sat under his ministry. He's a wonderful teacher of the Word of God. Uh, he expands it, he explains it in such a powerful way. And so it's a great honour to have him here. Uh, he's been in the ministry for 40, over 40 years. That's amazing. What a wealth of experience and knowledge that he's bringing to us this morning. And so it's a great joy to have him. Why don't you give him a warm Life Christian Centre welcome for Pastor Greg as he comes up. Thank you. Great. Thank you. How are you doing this morning? Wow, this place is full. This is awesome, isn't it? Fantastic. You guys, every time we come, always love the worship in this place. So thank you for leading us this morning and sense God's presence. So good to be here. We've got a great relationship with the church over the years. Uh, the only trouble is Pastor uh, Joseph is looking younger and younger. I'm getting older and older and he's getting younger and younger. What is going on? I don't get it. It's looking smooth, looking fit. Man. You know, I think I told one of the midweek classes I taught a couple of years ago, but it's still happening to me, is I have... Uh, uh, I, I need to be on blood thinners. Just a thing my dad did, my brother has. It's a genetic thing, so no big deal. But it means I have a monthly blood test. And so I go in every month, and uh, it's been happening for a little while now, but if I get a new nurse that's not doesn't know me, uh, after they take blood, they say this thing that gives me a personal crisis, they finish the blood, and they go, there you go, sweetheart. <laughs> now... There was a time if a young lady called me sweetheart, it was awesome. But now I just know it's code. It's code for that grey-haired, old, harmless guy. There you go, sweetheart. So, for better or worse, the sweetheart has turned up today. So just be kind to him, OK? Look after the old guy. He needs, he needs all the help he can get. But, you know, let's become official. The last two months ago, three months ago, uh, Michelle and I became grandparents for the very first time, which is good. We've still got the training wheels on, but Michelle's learning quick. You know, if she gets anywhere near him, little Thomas, she gets hold of him and no one else can get him at all. So I've hardly had a hug at all or a cuddle at all in three months because Michelle's got him. And whatever you do, do not mention him to Michelle after the service or whatever you do, don't say, look, can you show us a photo? Because you could be here for hours, okay? <laughs> We're learning what it's like to be grandparents, which is fabulous. Well, it is great to be here. You know, the start of a year. It's, school went back last week, was it? And started, you know, I'm nerdy enough to remember those days and enjoy those days when our kids were little. And, you know, you got the new pencil boxes and the new pencils and you'd file a bit of the off and you'd write their name on and all the new books cost your arm and a leg nowadays but you know all the all the new things or you know like a new starting a new book yourself or a new series on tv or new clothes or for me new camera gear new things are terrific and and sort of the start of a year we we sort of clock over oh thank goodness we got december out of the way and then we start the new year it's going to be new, isn't that? 
But you know what? It doesn't always be any different to last year unless we do different things. And I want to just share a few thoughts with you this morning about getting the most out of this year. Whatever this year's got you know, in store for us, there are things we can do to position ourselves to make it a better year maybe than it was last year. Despite what happens to us, despite what happens personally or globally or whatever, there are things we can do, I believe, that positions us to be in the right place at the right time with the right things going on inside of us. That's what I want to look at today. Very simple message, but let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we've sensed your presence here today. Thank you for your life, Holy Spirit, that you live inside of us. Thank you that you're our teacher, our guide, and we just invite you. We acknowledge you. We make way for you. We pray, come and take your word. Make it real. Make it alive. Make it relevant. And above all, help us to take hold of it today that we might apply your word to our lives, we ask. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share a few thoughts from 1 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul's writing to his young disciple, relatively young disciple. And Paul had left Timothy at Ephesus and he'd moved on to Greece. And then when he gets to Greece, he writes this letter to him about advice on what he should do now uh, as Paul's representative in this place. So it's 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 16. Let's just read that passage together or I'll read it to you. Uh, it says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. No one said that to me for many years. Okay. But be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, in your love, your faith and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you receive through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you and give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Verse 14, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. I want to pull out three thoughts from this passage but how we can position ourselves to, to maximise the things that God has got for us this year. And the first one is a pretty simple one, but a pretty challenging one, is that take a, a posture of saying yes. Saying yes to the opportunities that God gives to us this year. It says it in verse 12, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, but be an example to all the believers and so on. Paul is saying to Timothy, you can do this. See, Timothy was probably in his early 30s, which in our culture is relatively old, but in their culture, that was relatively young. In the Jewish culture and the, the culture of the day, the, the whiter the hair and the longer the beard, the more honoured and revered you were. And so if you were a relatively young person, sometimes your opinions or ideas were not valued because you weren't old enough. And so, you know... Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus. We can maybe show the map there. Uh, is that going to be up there? He's in, Timothy's in Ephesus, but Paul has moved up to, to Macedonia there. Uh, but the, the, the background here is that Paul had been in Ephesus previous to this for about three years. It's in Acts 19, if you want to look at that. And, and while Paul had been there for three years, there was incredible revival 
In fact, the, the word of God spread all through Asia Minor. Uh, there were people turning away from witchcraft and pagan uh, worship of the goddess Diana in that place. And, and the revival was so strong that the people who were making idols to this goddess Diana were fearful they were going to go out of business. And they started a riot at the end of this three years and that Paul had to leave because the city was in an uproar. And now, this is some years later, Paul has gone with Timothy to Ephesus, but Paul didn't stay. He moved on and left Timothy there to sort out some issues that were in this church. In fact, in the church, there were some of the elders maybe that were teaching heresy and Paul's left Timothy there to sort it out. I can only imagine how Timothy felt like, you know, uh, this, was an, this was a huge church, a, a very powerful, influential church, and, and they'd experienced the, the, the incredible ministry of Paul, but now Timothy's there by himself. I can imagine him thinking, I wish Paul was here. I'm not sure what I've got to do. This, I'm out of my depth right now. You know, what would Paul do? I have no idea. And Paul is saying, don't let anyone... Uh, despised your youth you can do it I've left you there because I believe in you and you are the man for this job come on Timothy you can do this now Timothy wasn't a wimp yeah we misunderstand him he was Paul's go-getter Paul dropped Timothy in lots of difficult situations so he was a very experienced person too but in comparison to Paul I think the, the comparison was a bit tricky and he's saying don't let anyone despise you you can do it we you know that's how I feel most of the time who am I? And we've got to learn, despite maybe feeling inadequate for whatever we're called to do, to learn to say yes. It's a challenging thing to do sometimes. Say yes to something that's a little bit beyond us. Say yes to something that's a bit challenging. But if we're going to make the most of this year, we've got to be a people who learn to say yes to what we believe God is asking us to do. I'm going to tell a few little stories about myself and please forgive me for doing that. It's not that my story is any more spectacular than anyone else's, but it's my story and so it's the only one I've got. So, But I remember in terms of public speaking, like when I first became a Christian, I was so, so shy. They, they offered for someone to come home or come to our place and do some little Bible studies and I would have said no because I was too shy for that time but my brother got saved on the same day and he said yes. You know, I can remember uh, you know, as I got involved in church and so on uh, when we gave out communion. You know, in those days they had a you know, table out the front and all the communion things were on the table and, and they'd get people who would stand in front by the table, ready to hand out the communion while the preacher talked about communion. Remember that? Did you ever do that in this church? You might still do it. I don't know. Um, but, you know, and they asked me to stand and give out the communion. Well, it was like asking me to jump off a cliff. I was, you know, I'd stand in the front, not have to say anything, just stand there. And I'd be terrified. In fact, you know, the legs would be going like this. Such, that's how shy I was, such a challenge. I remember I was studying at university at that stage and I joined a group called the Evangelical Union and probably after 12 months of being involved, they said, would you like to be the secretary of the committee? So I said yes, not knowing what that would involve. And then I discovered the secretary had to write minutes of the, the committee meeting. Now the committee's only four or five people, but I had to write the minutes from the, each week and then I found out I had to read out the minutes the following 
thing to remind everyone what we'd done and that terrified me. I think the, the meetings were Thursday nights after uni and all day Thursday I'd be nervous. All day Thursday I'd be praying, God, please let them decide that we don't need to read the minutes this week. It would terrified me to read a paragraph in front of four other people. I was a Wally, wasn't I? But I'm not exaggerating. This is where I was at. And as a new Christian, uh, I was asked, the the person who did follow my brother and I up as new Christians, um, uh, he had a friend called Pastor Tim Hall. Well, he wasn't pastor in those days. And and Tim was living up at Murray Bridge, and he was just a new Christian too, but he started the church. Now, it wasn't really a church. It was a, a group of people in his shed in the backyard. And at that stage, you know, Tim Hall couldn't preach because uh, he was a new Christian himself. So he would get, and this is how long ago it was, he'd get the audio tapes from the Clemsic Church sermon the week before. He'd play the audio tape, and then typical Tim, he would then run the altar call. If anyone knows Pastor Tim Hall, that's what he loves doing. And, and this person who followed us up took my brother and I up to there to share our testimonies to this church. It was probably 20 people in the shed. I cried all the way through my testimony. Not because it was so moving, it was just I was so terrified. It was like preaching to the biggest church in the world, but it was only 20 people in a backyard shed. I remember the first sermon, or one of the first sermons I ever preached, you know, you find yourself preaching what's in your own heart, and I decided to preach on overcoming fear. And it was in a little kindergarten hall down at Aberfall Park on a cold, wet, uh, rainy uh, Sunday afternoon with again a group of about 20 people and I'm standing there making a mistake of holding my notes and I'm saying give your life to Jesus and he'll help you overcome fear <laughs> nobody got saved I don't know why I can imagine people looking at me going no if that's what giving your life to Jesus does I've got enough of my own problems I don't want any more thank you very much I was terrified But you know what? I'm not too worried today. In fact, I've been looking forward ever since I got the invite to come. I've been looking forward to coming because I love doing this today. What's the difference? Over the years, I've learned to say yes. That's the key to all sorts of things. If God presents us with an opportunity and we feel it's, it's in him, we've just got to learn to say yes. You know, I had to smile at myself quite a few years ago. An off-campus student was talking about church involvement. In one of their assignments, they said they've been asked to be an usher at church, but they're still praying about whether they should. I'm thinking, goodness me, just say yes. You don't have to do it for the rest of your life. You're not signing a contract in blood. Just if there's a need, just put your hand up and say, can I help? I'll do it. Just learn to say yes. And it might not be about uh, serving. It could be also, you know, God might be saying to us, hey, forgive that person. We're not going to move on unless we say yes. It might be about confessing something to somebody but we're unwilling to, you know, we're not going to move on unless we say yes. It might be how we prioritise the use of our finances and God might be speaking to us about that and we've got to learn to say yes. You understand what I'm saying? Whatever it could be, whatever God says to us, if we're going to position ourselves to be used by him and to grow, we've got to learn to say yes. 
You know, some people have their automatic switch biased towards no. No, 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 no. We've got to learn. It takes courage sometimes, but learn to say yes. That's my first point. Secondly, verse 14 of chapter 4, 1 Timothy says, Don't neglect the spiritual gift that you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of church laid their hands on you. Paul is saying to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. You can do it. Say yes. But he's saying you can't do it by yourself. It's not about, yeah, I'll say yes and I'll, I'll find success. No, it's say yes, but then rely upon God to help us do the things that God wants us to do. We've got to rely upon him. I think it's already been said today somewhere, you know, without him, we can do nothing. And that really is the reality. Nothing significant, nothing lasting and so on. And sometimes I think a leadership challenge is we've said yes so many times and we've started to learn a few skills and abilities and confidence along the way. And then we forget that in our saying yes, we've got to spend time for him. So there's the, there's the paradox. At the start, we feel inadequate. Then after we've been doing it for a while, we feel, oh, I've got this nailed. And we forget that we've got to create the space and the opportunity for God to breathe life into us. Because if he doesn't, we've actually got nothing to give. We need to rely upon him. I love Acts 1.8. Hey, we're all Pentecostals. It's one of our favourite verses. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses uh, and so on. That, that power has a lot of range of meanings. Dunamis, dynamite, all that sort of thing. But one of the meanings we often don't think about is the word just simply ability. You shall receive ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not just about altar calls and, and, and prayer. It's about God wants to enable us to do the things he's calling us to do. He wants to give us ability to do those things. Think about it. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He's the creator of the whole universe. He's the wisest person in the whole. He knows everything. He's got more ability than anything to do the things. He's got great wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And he wants to help us. But we've got to cultivate a position that says, Holy Spirit, please help me. Holy Spirit, lift me beyond what I can do in the natural. Yes, I might be okay at doing this in the natural, but that's not enough. Holy Spirit, come and help me breathe your life into what I do. It's throwing ourselves upon him saying, Lord, if you don't turn up, I am sunk. Please help me to do what I am called to do. You know, I love an example of Saul in the Old Testament when Samuel the prophet anointed Saul for ministry. Uh, Samuel said this to Saul, 1 Samuel 10, 6, it says, At this time, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, Saul, and you will prophesy with the other prophets, and you'll be changed into a different person. I love that. Saul, you'll still be Saul, but under the anointing, you'll be a different person. I, I hunger for that. Because you know what? If only Greg Johnson turns up, it's pretty average. He's just a bit of a sweetheart, really. But if Greg Johnson turns up and the Holy Spirit uses him, it's a totally different thing. You'll be turned into a different person. And I'm not just talking about preaching. It's if you're standing on the door greeting people, Holy Spirit, help me. Come and lift me to the supernatural that someone will have words of encouragement and life for people, whatever it is we're doing. Come 
Lift us into the supernatural, Holy Spirit. We need you. You know, we all have our ebbs and flows in this. And I remember years ago teaching a discipleship group in my home, 12-week group. And I, you know, the gift of my life is teaching and I gave it my best shot. But after the 12 weeks were over, I said to the, the group you know, the last night, so how do you think we went, you know? And it was silence. And then some brave soul said, well, we learnt a lot, but I'm not sure whether God turned up. That was not a highlight of my life. But you know what? It was true. I was so busy that I just plugged into automatic mode, did what I could do, but really didn't spend time praying, and it showed. It does show. You know, the, the, the thing is, we can't tell who had devotions this morning or not. You know? Wouldn't that be good, kind of neat, if you had devotions and you had glowed for the next two hours? Like, that'd be awesome, right? Maybe it wouldn't be, because you know, we might be shocked. We can't tell. But, you know, give six months, 12 months, two years, we'll be able to tell. Because those who wait on the Lord, those who throw themselves in, the supernatural is added. It lifts us into the supernatural. But we've got to make ourselves available. We've got to posture ourselves with the right attitude. And, you know, if we do... God says, I'm going to turn you into a different person. I'm going to help you do things you can't do. I'm going to give life to the things you do that there are then impact on people's hearts that we can't do ourselves. Oh, I hunger for that. I desire that. I'm desperate for that because that's where it's all at. You know, we, we kind of think, oh, that's okay for you preachers. But, you know, this is not just up for, not for upfront ministry per se. It's for everybody. I love an Old Testament example here of the people who were building the tabernacle. It was two guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, I think the other guy's name was. Exodus 31, 2 to 3, it says this, look, God is talking to Moses. He says, look, I've specific chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Ur, of the tribe of Juban. Notice this, he says, I have filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability and expertise in all kinds of craft. This was the ability of the Holy Spirit, not to preach, not to counsel, not to, it was to build stuff, design things. And he was a craftsman, he was a tradie. You know, the Aussie culture very much says, well, there's the spiritual people and, then they're, and they're hopeless with their hands. And that's usually true. Uh, and then there's me, because I build stuff. Well, I don't get all that spiritual stuff, but I, I build. No, no, no. We're all spiritual. We've all been made in the image of God. And we've got to call upon God for even the practical, the creativity to do things with our hands. Again, another story from, from my own life. Please forgive me again for my own story. But, you know, in what seems a previous life, I used to be an electrical engineer uh, before I went to Bible college and so on. And I worked for the advertiser in those days. And they were a parent company of a whole bunch of companies around, the sta around Australia. And uh, we, we had a printing press, simple printing press that had been through a fire. And so we were going to refurbish this thing. And I was part of that team that did that. And... It, it, this is how long ago this was, but uh, it, was, it was dedicated just to print computer paper. Now, we don't even know what that is nowadays, but just to explain, for the old people will know, all the sweethearts will know this. Uh, the, the old type printers, your know, little dot matrix printers, the paper would come through like a continuous, you know, big 
paper about that wide, had little, perfor little perforations of it and dots. Someone's saying, yes, I can see the sweetheart over there. Okay. <laughs> and some of you know, but you're not willing to admit that you know. And, and, and there were sort of blue or green lines. Remember, come on, let's see the sweethearts. Who remembers those things? Okay, yeah. Well, this press was just doing that. It was just printing, the, your simple print job, you know, just bang the paper through as quick as you could, and, and away you go. So, so the tricky part about this for me, designing the electronics and the electrical stuff with this, was that the paper would start at one end on a big roll, and it would belt through the press, and then either it would get rolled up again into another roll here or to get folded, you know, depending on what they wanted to do. Now, the tricky bit of that is that you, the paper surface needs to be going at the same speed. But anyone who's been to the toilet knows this. As you start pulling on the toilet roll, it gets, it's got to spin faster, doesn't it? Okay. Maybe shouldn't have used that illustration. Note to second service, Pastor Joseph, okay. Um, <laughs> As the diameter of the roll gets smaller, the spindle's got to turn faster to keep the same amount of paper coming through at the same speed. You understand that? So you've got to do some design electronic stuff to measure all that and control the motors and so on. Now, that was beyond me to design that, but we contracted a guy to do that. One at this end for the roll there, one at that end for the roll. And when it was installed, the thing all went unstable because you know he had all these knobs. And uh, I said, what are the knobs doing? He wouldn't tell us, because that was his copyright information. I said, look, this is not, we're going to send this to Melbourne. This is not going to work, because it's going to go unstable. And the guy said, well, I'll tell you what, I've got an answer. I'll lock down all the knobs. That was his I said, but what if it goes wrong? He says, well, call me and I'll fly at your expense. So he wouldn't tell us how it worked, but he did give us, he had to give us the, the circuit diagram. And so I got hold of the circuit diagram from him, and I analysed it and came up with what I thought every knob did. And I went to him and I said, so what do you think? Have I understood this? He said, mm, kind of. He wouldn't even let me know whether I knew what the knobs were going to do. So wouldn't you know it, we installed it in Melbourne and within a week it's gone unstable. You know, it's hunting, it's going fast, slow, fast, slow. Something's gone wrong in the feedback loop here. And so the, the company doesn't want to send that guy over. It's going to cost a fortune, so they send me over. I have no idea really what I'm doing, but I've got a bit of an idea because I've got a block diagram that I think is kind of accurate. So I get over there and sure, it's a big you know, area and when this thing goes unstable, the whole place can hear it because it's going woo, 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 snap, the paper's gone. So like, this is a high profile job. The guy from Adelaide's flown in to sort this out. It was the kid from Adelaide, really. And so sure enough, we fire it up, it goes unstable and yet, yeah, okay, well, I worked on it for half a day, and I still had no idea what the problem was. And I'm getting desperate. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to have to fly home, and we'll have to send this guy over and like, hello, I'm new in this job, and I'm, I'm not able to do this. So I'm literally standing by the press about lunchtime, and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you live inside of me. You actually know what's going on here. Help me, please. I'm desperately, you know, under my breath. Help me, help me, help me, please. And so we're doing another run. And it, starts, and it starts going unstable. But as I look down, this little bit of light goes bing in my eye. That was unusual. So we stop it. And I look down there. And what it was, it was the, the surface of a nut uh, that was on a, on a thing that was controlling one of the sensors. And it was, it was loose. 
And if it had been spinning all the time, it wouldn't have reflected the light, but it stopped momentarily and the light hit it and reflected it into my eye. So I just got my pliers and did the thing up, fixed the problem. For the rest of the afternoon, I'm walking around Johnston's here. Is there anything else I can do to help? <laughs> Truly, I had no idea what I was doing. But he did. Now you might say that's coincidence. I don't know. I was desperate. I was playing, praying. I believe the Holy Spirit showed me what I needed. He knows about stuff, to use a very deep theological term. I've worked with tradies and you know, some of them say, you know, I pray about this. I pray about, you know, sometimes I'm trying to build something. I'm not sure how to work it. And, and I pray and God will give me insights and what to do. Don't write yourself off if you're not a preacher. We're all made in the image of God. We're all spiritual people. And God knows about your career, your job, your involvement in whatever you do. He knows and he's got answers for you. If we will call upon him, he'll give us ability to do things. How are we going? We're going good for time. We doing okay? okay. Another little illustration God wants to speak to us. Quite a few years ago, I was trying to learn how to hear God's voice more clearly. And I went to a seminar here from a guy. A guy was traveling around the world. He did a seminar. He wrote a book. I bought the book, studied the book. Uh, and, and he was saying that God's, God's voice is like a spontaneous flow of thoughts that comes with a sense of life. Now, not every spontaneous thought is God, okay? So he, there's all sorts of checks and balances. I haven't got time to go into that. But God speaks to us, not in a spooky way, but thoughts just drop in our hearts. And so he said, as an exercise, why don't you uh, imagine a, a New Testament story with Jesus in it? And then as a point of faith, just imagine you know, the story rolling out in your mind and then get to a point in the story where you imagine Jesus talks to you and calls you by name and says, hey, in my case, Greg, let's walk down this track because there's something I want to tell you. And then just say, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? Just to sort of prime the pump, just to sort of have that moment of, of faith. So I was home in, in my office and I thought, I'll give this a go. So uh, I thought of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I don't know all the sermon verbatim by just visualising the crowd and the Jesus. And, and then I thought, oh, OK, here comes the point of faith. So I imagine Jesus turned to me and says, Greg, come on, let's go for a little walk. There's something I want to say. So I'm standing still. I'm not walking, but I'm, I'm imagining I'm walking down this path with Jesus. And I say, Lord, what is it you want to say? And I honestly, I move from the natural to the supernatural just like that. He actually turned up, not physically, but he said something to me, a spontaneous flow of thoughts that I just know was him. And I know it was him because it wasn't what I was expecting him to say, but it was true and relevant. And do you know what he, what he said to me? He said, Greg, when you imagined me preaching the sermon and you listening to it, why did you place yourself in the back row? And I had to kind of go, did I? Because I hadn't thought of it, it wasn't a conscious decision. And I literally had to replay in my mind what I had imagined. And sure enough, without thinking about it, I'd imagine Jesus way down there as a little figure. I'd imagine all these people crowded around. And my point of view in my mind was from the back. I hadn't even thought about that. And then he went on, he says, why did you imagine yourself in the back? The people in the back 
only hear the sermon. But the people down the front hear what goes on before the sermon. or what They hear all the conversation. They hear all the, the other intimate things. He says, I don't want you to place yourself in the back row. I want you to place yourself in the front row. Because there's things I want to say to you that I want you to be able to share with other people. God turned up. He spoke to me. He said, put yourself in the front row. Now, before you start thinking, hey, Greg Johnson is part of the elite front row. (laughs) No, 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 no. There's room on the front row for you. He invites everyone, come and sit on the front row. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Not just my preachers, my sheep hear my voice. He wants to speak to you. There's things he wants to tell you about your family for this year, for about your health for this year, for your finances, for your job. There's things he wants to speak to you, but you've got to place yourself in the front row. You've got to draw near and say, God, I can't do this without you. Please come and speak to me. Now, not get spooky, whatever. But simply spending time saying, Lord, please be involved. Come and speak into my heart. What have you got? For I believe he speaks far more than we hear because we simply don't make ourselves available. So the first thing is say yes. The second thing is say yes, but depend on him because you can't do it without him. Even when you know what to do, we still need him. Otherwise, there's no life. And the third thing is we need to have an eternal vision. Realise we're just passing through and it's all about eternity, not now. Paul talks to Timothy again, third thing in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay, stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. See, Timothy's had to sort out things in, in the church, but it's all about eternity. It's not about having a smooth running church. It's the church is about eternity. So that your own salvation and the salvation of others will be secured is what Paul says. You know, we're only passing through. When you become a sweetheart, you realise there's less time to go than there has been. Yeah. It's kind of a bit freaky. We're all ready to go, but not not today, thanks. (laughs) But one day, without exception, sorry, we're all going to go. It seems nebulous. It's out there somewhere. You know, one day, yeah, I know, but it sort of hit me, maybe because I'm a sweetheart. You know, one day I'm going to, and I can't escape that. It's reality. That's pretty morbid for a Sunday morning. Sorry about that. (laughs) But see... We're eternal beings and this is not all there is. God wants to make the maximum of this, for sure. This is a gift from God, our life we've got now. But it's only that in the light of eternity. We need to live this life in the light of eternity. Setting priorities, setting, you know, planning and, and straining, saying, God, I want to I I please you. I want to be in the right place at the right time. I want to impact people today, not just for today, but somehow let it be for eternity yes. as well. That's what it's all about. And see, maybe going back to this engineering thing, I became a Christian in my second year at Adelaide Uni. And something changed fundamentally at that point. I finished off the degree and I worked as an engineer 
you know, I believed in finishing things and so on. But from the moment I became a Christian, something changed. And the difference, I could describe it as some people are engineers who happen to be Christians. But others are Christians who happen to be engineers. Put your own profession, workplace there, whatever. You understand that? Hey, some people are hairdressers who happen to be Christians. Some are Christians who happen to be hairdressers or whatever. It, it's, a, it's a mindset. What's first? What's foremost in your heart? Who are you? How do you define yourself? Living for eternity. Who am I? I remember uh, a while back thinking about eternity. I was lying in bed just thinking about eternity. And, and, and I was thinking about heaven. I don't think we think about heaven enough. But I was thinking about it. It's really confusing because God, God says lots of fabulous things about heaven, but not enough to satisfy us, hey? But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in thinking about this and I'm saying, Lord, I think I'm ready to go. I was under pressure. There's all sorts of stuff going on. I'm saying, Lord, it'd be nice just to step into heaven. Now, now, I wasn't suicidal, okay? But I'm sort of thinking, oh, it'd be so nice, you know? And, and it's clear as well, just this, nothing spooky, but this just flow of thoughts came to me and says, you're not ready. And, and I knew what God was saying. He wasn't saying, you're not good enough yet. No, that's, I know. I've already got my answer sorted out. If they ask questions at the door, I know they won't. That's all Hollywood. Where they, you know, no, no, it's whether your name's written in a book. And the name of the book is the Lamb's Book of Life. I know my name's in there. But if they do ask, my question, I, I've already got my answer pre-prepared. Why should we let you in? It's, hey, listen, because Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. Because Jesus died for me and his blood has paid the price for my sin. I'm not worthy to come in by myself, but his blood has paid that price. I've been forgiven. I know you're going to let me in. So when God says you're not ready, it wasn't like, oh, I better be better so I can earn it. No, no, we don't earn it. It's already done for us. All we've got to do is accept that price, that gift for us. And that's simple. Lord Jesus, help me. Come into my life. Please forgive me. So he wasn't saying that, but he sort of gave me a picture or a thought that my life and your life is like a book. And chapter one is called Life on Earth. There's lots of more chapters that are going to be written once we step from this world. But the thought that struck me, and again, not out of fear, not out of a sense of, oh, I better be better. No, that wasn't it at all. But the thought that struck me is once I step into eternity, chapter one is closed. I can't write any more in chapter one. There'll be plenty of other chapters in eternity, but chapter one is, and, and I don't want to get to heaven and look back at chapter one and go, that's a bit pathetic. Again, understand, not in terms of glory and honour and fame. No, that's not what I'm thinking about at all. But when I step into eternity, I can't love my friends and relatives anymore because I just won't be there. When I step into eternity, I can't pray for some of my unsaved relatives because I'm not going to be there. When I step into eternity, I can't teach another class or preach another sermon. Once I've stepped into eternity, I can't listen to somebody and hear what's going on in their lives. Once I step into eternity, my influence in this world is closed. And the thought struck me, there's still relatives who are not saved. There's still friends that are going through issues. There's still, there's still people I'd love to encourage and help somehow. 
there's still things to be done if I'll be open to do them. There's still people to listen to. You understand what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about some glorious, this is what I did. No, while I've got breath in my lungs today, I can be present with you. And whatever that might look like, whatever I might be able to do to help you a little bit, whatever I can do while I've got breath in my lungs today is an opportunity to somehow say, God, use me somehow in my sphere of influence to be someone that heard from you and got something of life or just sat with someone and cried with them. Because when we step from this world to the next, those opportunities are gone. Eternal perspective. It's about realising we're here and while we're here, there are opportunities to do good. Let me finish with one. I jumped ahead of myself in my notes, but that's okay. Let me finish with one other scripture about Paul and Demas. 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul is in prison at this stage and he's ready to die. But he's quite happy. Think about this. What does he say? As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day of his return. Paul was ready to die, but there's no sadness. There's no regret. You know, he, he, he also, in other places, talks about he had messed it up quite a few times and so on and regretted a lot of his past. But now he's ready to step into eternity. He's going, well, I've gave it a good shot. I'm ready to go. But then let's contrast that to another guy in 2 Timothy, a different book. But Paul, Paul now is really about to die. And he says then 2 Timothy, he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica and so on. We don't hear about Demas anywhere else in the Bible except that verse. We don't know who this guy was, but he was evidently someone who'd been travelling with Paul. Someone who'd been in the entourage, like Luke and, and Timothy and Titus, he'd been travelling with them and it was all going good for a time, but we don't know what went wrong. Maybe it was the fact that Paul was in prison and it got really hard to be a Christian and to stand up for your faith. We don't know. All Paul says that Demas is gone, he's forsaken me, having loved the things of this world. Somehow, for some reason, Demas took his eyes off eternity. Maybe there was fear. Maybe there was distraction. Who knows what it was? We don't know. But I've often thought to myself, I wonder what would have been going through Demas's heart when he knew he was about to die. I imagine it was different to Paul. Paul was ready to go and say, I'm looking forward to it because I've given this a good shot. But I, I wonder the regret Demas would have thought about having run but now for some reason gotten distracted so that he loved the things of the world. It's so easy to lose sight of eternity. It's so easy to get caught up, even just the mundaneness of life, the busyness of life. It's so easy to, to maybe shrink back when things get tough. But we've got to remind ourselves, actually, it's not a, it is all about today, but it's not just about today. It's about eternity. 
We're eternal beings with an eternal call on our hearts and upon our lives. And really, that's all that matters is saying, God, today, help me know you. Help me walk with you. Help me to be sensitive to people around me. Help me to find myself in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, so that I can make my tiny contribution to your kingdom. So I can do the things that you've made me to, do, to be and I can be faithful to whatever you've given me to do. If we can do that, we'll have the best year we've ever had. If we can live every day with a sense of eternity, it'll prioritise us. It'll focus us. It'll, it'll make us better relatives and friends and neighbours and work colleagues and, and, and whatever. It'll make us people who have an impact as we allow God to speak through in us and through us. Simple message today. How do we position ourselves for this year to get more out of this year than last year? Well, three things in my mind is one, to say yes to the things that might scare us, the things that are new, the things a bit beyond the comfort zone, the things that, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Just learn to say yes. Secondly, in our saying of yes, do it with dependence on God. Saying, God, if you don't turn up, I'm in trouble. And even if we're able to do those things, don't get too comfortable there realize we can't really do anything of significance unless the holy spirit speaks through us and enables us gives us that supernatural ability and thirdly lord help me to live every day with a sense of eternity help me to focus today to realize today is a day that could be significant for me or someone else that it is an opportunity to somehow leave someone better than than how i met them help me lord to have that eternal vision. We, why don't we just bow our heads in a moment of prayer. Thank you so much for the chance to share with you today. I just want to, I'm not even going to get a show of hands or anything today, but I just want to give you a second to think about this year for you. What does this year look like? Maybe God is speaking to you about things that are new opportunities and you're not sure whether you want, want to do them or not. Maybe, you know, and this is, this is, common for most of us maybe everything within you wants to spend that time with God but you know life just gets so busy just get you to think about that maybe not condemning but saying how can I get started again maybe I don't know if the church has a devotional reading plan or you can get them online or something or just start re rekindle those things that you've done or do something new one thing that really helps me is just listening to my Bible in my car there's plenty of apps you can get. Just plug it in and it's not a heavy-duty study, but just listening while I'm driving just somehow gives me the big picture of God. It might be simply as that. What, what is it you could do to rekindle that flame, to spend that little bit of time? It doesn't mean hours and hours of prayer. It might be just five minutes. But when could you do that? What time of day? What could you build into your routine that'll help you? And lastly, maybe a refresher to think about eternal perspective. And maybe, who is it that maybe God would lay on your heart today? Might be a friend, might be a relative, might be someone at work. Or How could you be a better friend, relative, workplace person? What could you do to maybe just show up, to be present, 
when you're around them. Don't take those family gatherings for granted. But listen more. Be more intentional about the opportunity of being the right person to help them in whatever it is they are involved in. I'm going to pray for us now. Father, thank you for the things that you've dropped on our hearts today. Help us, Lord, to reach out and take them. Help us, Lord, to spend that time with you. Help us, Lord, to say yes. Help us, Lord, to be present and aware of eternal impact that we might be able to have on the lives of other people. Come, Holy Spirit, well up within us today. Let us not just hear a sermon, but speak to us about individual things that we can do, steps we can take to help us find ourselves right in the centre of your will. This year we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for the chance to share with you. Always, always, always love coming and sharing with the church here. Thank you. Let's all stand together. What an amazing and powerful word. I'm sure we've all been challenged this morning to be better and to say yes and to depend more on the Spirit and have an eternal perspective. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've spoken into our hearts. And Father, we do want to take steps towards you. We want to draw near to you. And Father, we do want to hear your voice and be able to say yes. And Father, we want to be able to draw all your Holy Spirit has for us. The ability, the power, the dunamis that is available. We want to draw from you, from your Holy Spirit. And help us, Lord, to see those around us that are hurting, that are in need. And Father, let us be Christ to them. Let us be Jesus to them. We thank you for your word. Let us go doing your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Lord bless you. Have a great week. Uh, Don't forget, Wednesday night we have a prayer meeting here at 7.30. Lord bless you.